You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Habercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me in Southampton, England, is Jonathan Habercroft. And Jonathan, I'm currently looking out my window at a snow globe. It's pretty cool. Uh, If I get distracted during our recording here, that is why. So you have snow. Yeah, it's snowing uh, pretty good too. It uh, it was rain early this morning, and it is like right before we sat down to record. It turned to snow, and it's it looks absolutely stunning outside. We get snow. We get a good snow here in Richmond, probably every other year, and we got that on Monday, and now it's it's snowing again. So this is kind of surprising. We had the sun come out yesterday for the first time since Christmas. Congratulations. That was nice to see. <laughs> yeah. Aside from that, it's been rain nonstop in January. Fortunately, the snow is currently not sticking to the roads, although it if it keeps coming down like this, it might, because uh, it's been in the 50s the last couple of days. It's been gorgeous. Um, but yeah, so now we've got snow. It's kind of wild. Yeah, well, can you build a rink in your backyard? Um, No. Uh. This is not, this is, this is Virginia, man. I'm going to do probably the worst transition that I have ever done on this podcast. Are you ready for it? All right. So Jonathan, a snow globe, kind of like a bubble. And guess what's coming up later this month? The curling curling bubble. bubble. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So we are here today to talk about... The Scotties, uh, which kicks off the Calgary curling bubble. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the Japanese championships and the Swiss championships, which are underway and are going to run through the week. Yeah. And so I picked out 10 plot lines from the Scotties because 18 teams is too much to go through. Yeah, we're not going to go team by team, although it would be pretty quick this year because there's not really a whole bunch of results that we could talk about <laughs> leading up into this event. That's true too. It's also, there's not many results to go on. And um, I also suck at predictions. So <laughs> I'll let other people do the predictions. I've had a, I, I don't gamble for a good reason. Anyway. Yeah. So you told me, you told me you, you, you had a list of a few things to watch. And then you sent me the notes for this episode. And there's 10. 10 is not a few. Like 10 is a lot, but. I'll, I'll, I'm going to think of it as 10 ends. Huh? Oh, ten, okay. Ten All right. Ends. So we're going oh. 10 ends, 10 ends for the yeah. Scotties. All right. I'll, the I can, Scotties. I can, I can follow. Yeah. So first thing, Ryan, there's five Manitoba teams. So one way of thinking about this event is, do you bet Manitoba or do you bet the rest of Canada? Honestly, it's 50-50 because the rest of Canada includes Homan. That's true. And I, I think it's either going to be Homan or Anderson. I, I, I would be... 
I would be surprised, not stunned, if one of the teams other than Homan or Anderson wins this event. Yeah. Uh, I so okay. All right, that's a good subplot. So I think it could go either way, and we we've got a little bit to go on in terms of the bubble effect. So maybe that, that was the seventh end. So let's talk about that. But I I agree, it could go. You think it's Einerson or Homan? And I'll I'll go you I'll go you one further, Jonathan. So they they've yeah. changed the the format a bit. So the playoffs is just going to be one semifinal, one final. Whoever is at the top of the standings at the end of the round robin gets the bye straight to the final three teams make the playoffs. Yeah. I will be very surprised if the three playoff teams are not home and Anderson and Jones. Okay. You're that, you're that confident. Cause I think both the tweak to the format and the lack of curling is going to throw a bit of a chaotic wrench into things. I think you'll get upsets. However, because of the size of the field and the number of games they are going to play, it's gonna like teams are gonna be able to pull upsets, but I, I don't think you're gonna see one of those three teams lose enough to miss the playoffs. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first thing. Okay, second, and this is this is the more I think this is the spicy story that I was looking forward to a year ago. And uh, we never got to see it. But to me, and we've, we've talked about this before, there's not enough kind of playing up of the rivalries in curling. But Weagle being cut by Team Holman in the before times and then picked up by Jennifer Jones, I think in a normal curling season would be the biggest subplot for that season. Yes or no? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we haven't heard a peep about that. So we're going to see, A, we're going to see we've a, probably peep. their first game head to head. Sorry. We've heard peeps. A little peep, but it's all bubble COVID. Yeah, I mean, outside of COVID, that's probably the number one story. What do we think? Okay, so there's a bunch of angles to this, right? So first of all, there's the the rivalry game that'll pop up at some point. And how is that going to be hyped? Second, who comes out of this better? Like, does Jones, with picking up Weagle end up being a stronger team or does Holman who kind of made the cut and was making a decision. They obviously thought they were a better team by making this move. Are they a better team? And does the fact that neither teams had a competitive season affect this shakeup in any way, shape or form? It's not going to have as big an impact as you would think. I think that it'll lead to them dropping a game along the way. Like I think someone I, th- I think a team that you would think, okay, this team has no shot against Jones or this team has no shot against Holman, like they're going to drop one of those games along the way, but I think they're still playoff teams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think they're both still playoff teams. I just wonder who comes out of this with a bit of an edge. And I think Jones may have, uh, just in terms of how it all shakes yeah. out. I don't, and we're honestly, just because of the lack of information to go on, we're really not going to know until they play each other. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's definitely an interesting angle, right? Then, okay, so third end. And this is another Manitoba team. So They're all the, I think this teams. is the big surprise is that Flurry carry. Like, that's been the big announcement, right? Is that Tracy Flurry can't play in the Scotties. And so they brought in Chelsea Carey as the super sub skip. And, at, and actually, I think this is interesting because Carey's got a pretty good track record with new teams. It's just that her teams 
tend to break up, but she actually, you know, won two Scotties and done it kind of early in that team cycle both times. She also was kind of a big event player. She did well at the, the Olympic trials and kind of along with her kind of recent Scotties performances. So are they a dark horse to win that? And I, and I think that the bubble actually plays well for them, right? In the sense that mm-hmm. no team's kind of in midseason form. Mm-hmm. All the teams are going to be going through team dynamic issues, right? So some of the things that would be a negative of pulling this maneuver in this case aren't such a negative because all the other teams are in similar situations. So does this make them a dark horse team to win? I think so. And I, the reason that you pointed out is exactly why, because you look at this field and you say, okay, of these teams, how many of them are having to, are how many of them have a new player from last season that they didn't get the opportunity to, go out on tour with and really build the team dynamic. And among the, among the favorites, it's all of them, but Anderson. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're a dark horse. Yeah, for sure. And so that gets us the fourth end here. So Anderson, they're the defending champs, right? They were deprived of the chance to represent Canada at the world because the world was canceled. So if you know you don't need much motivation to win a Scotties, but maybe that adds a little bit extra spice uh, if you're the defending champs, right? That often is a bit of a down effect. They're also the most stable team in terms of lineup amongst the contenders, right? No lineup changes. They know they can win it because they just have, and in a certain sense, they've probably broken through the the mental block, if you will, or the the pressure of having to win a, a national championship. So, can they repeat? And are they? the favorites to win it all. Yes. And I'll throw another wrinkle into this, Jonathan, because you have so many reasons to want to win the Scotties from the, the, the pride of being the national champion to the spot in the worlds to the money. But one of the things that isn't in that for a few of these teams is the fact that curling Canada came out and announced um, some trial spots before, because before going in, this was going to be kind of your last chance to get an automatic bid into the trials. Well, Curling Canada came out and said, okay, these teams are already set in, in the trials. Um, and we'll have two pre-trials events leading up. So all of a sudden that pressure is off a handful of these teams now. So now there's no longer that that additional motivating factor of hey if we win this tournament we're already in the trials yeah so you think for some of them it's there's less motivation to win but for einerson perhaps there's a bit more because they want to go to a world they haven't gone to yes i mean slightly less like i mean i'm not saying there are teams that no longer want to win the scotties because it no longer is tied to getting to the trials that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is one less motivating factor. And honestly, maybe it takes a little bit of pressure off of everybody too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So then the last of our, so the fifth then, the last of our Manitoba teams. Uh, so Mackenzie Zacharias, um, junior champ, and Beth Peterson, kind of top competitive team from Manitoba, both qualified based on CTRS points. Um, there's a couple of wrinkles to this one too, because there's a few, if you go to the CTRS standings from last year, there's a few kind of really good teams that aren't here. So the biggest, the biggest kind of names that didn't make the cut are Kelsey Rock and Robin Silvernagel, mm-hmm. right? And so part of this is how the, because of lineup changes, right? Correct. 
And uh, so that let these other teams that were at 11th and 12th when lockdown happened um, snag the, the last two spots to get in. So is that going to be controversy? I guess it already is controversy. The reason there's controversy is because Curling Canada waited so long before releasing the parameters around who would get a wild card spot. I think if they had said from the very beginning, okay, we're just going to go straight off of CTRS points. However, you have to have at least three members from last year's team. Like if they had said that from the outset, I don't think anyone would have had a problem, but they waited until the very last minute to announce how they were going to award these wildcard spots. So I think that's why there's a little bit of controversy. Rock's team is really good. Obviously, they've had a lot of success on tour. However, they've never gotten out of Alberta, whereas Silver Nagel's team, they have been to the Scotties and they have had success at the Scotties. So that's that's the team that I really, that of all the teams, that's the one team that I really wish was in this field because I think that they would be among the favorites if they were in, but they're not. Um, the Rock team, it would have been interesting to see how they would have done uh, given the chance to be in the Scotties. But one of my things that I had down as things to watch was, uh, was this team Beth Peterson out of Manitoba because they've had success on tour the last couple of years. They've been a pretty solid team. However, there, were, there was no chance that they were ever going to get out of Manitoba and get to the Scotties because of just the, the depth of that province. So I'm excited to see them have the chance. The Zacharias team... I mean, sky's the limit for them. They're really young. So I don't know. I mean, this is not going to be their last uh, opportunity to play in the Scotties. Uh, but it'll be good experience for them. But I, I am one of, one of my things to watch is, uh, is, is Team Peterson getting the, getting the chance to be there. Because, I, I mean, unless they move, I don't know if they're going to get another shot at it. I, yeah, we don't know. I mean, well, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of that. I, I like having a young team just out of juniors show up. Um, they're, they're obviously not going to be a favorite to mm-hmm. win, but they I, they also aren't going to finish last. And it'll, it'll be fun to see how they match up with the big name teams and uh, see how that experience um, you know translates into future performance. And I, I agree with you. For them, they're, they're kind of one to watch like five, five, seven years from now, they'll, they'll probably definitely be slamming and doing all that then, if not a little bit sooner. But um, it'll be, it's just nice to see kind of some young up-and-coming teams kind of added to the mix here. Yeah, and that's what they do in the U.S. is they save one spot at Nationals for a junior team, which I think is actually really smart. Yeah, there's. I mean, I think that's that's the kind of thing maybe to, to look at for for kind of future tweaks to the Briar and Scotties field. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number six, New Look Holman team. So they announced the lineup change right as lockdown was happening. They haven't had time to gel. So how are they going to do? Uh, they're going to make the final. It'll be against Anderson, and one of those teams will will win. I'm not. I. I haven't decided which of those teams I think will be the one that wins. So you're going straight up chalk. Chalk, 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 chalk. All right. Although, no, not necessarily, because I think Jones is actually a little bit above Holman in C. Actually, yes, yeah, Holman's fourth in CTRS, so not necessarily chalk off CTRS, but chalk based off of this was the final last year. 
but how much, I mean, how much of that's just the lineup change in terms of like the changing of points? I have no idea. We, have, we would have right. to have Jerry Gertz back on. <laughs> yeah, because I assume that Sarah Wilkes had fewer points than, uh, so you're swapping out Weagle's points for Wilkes's points, so that probably pulls you down. I think that's probably what pulled them back a bit, but, um, and they also haven't, because they've, didn't they already have, a, they already had their thing locked down, right? They already had their trials birth locked down, so they're a bit more selective in terms of the events they play. Yeah, because they had won, I think they had won the Canada Cup. Yeah. So it's like, that's the, that's the, the effect there, right? Is that the CTRS points, if you've already got your birth locked up, you can then just pick and choose what you're doing mm-hmm. plus the lockdown and lineup change. So I don't know if they're, I, I, I wouldn't go straight chalk on CTRS for that reason. Okay. So you think they're going to, I think, I think it opens the door a little bit. I, there's a pretty clear pattern in Homan's career of, like she'll show up somewhere with a new team or at a new kind of level of event and not do that well the first time, like not do that well by her standards the first time. And it's almost like she then, she uses that event to figure it out and then comes back the next time to destroy. So it was like that her first season with Joanne Courtney too. And then their kind of Mm -hmm. runaway season and breakout was afterwards. So I'm kind of wondering if, if something similar here happens, that this is kind of a feel it out season. Um, because if any team's kind of like a race car in terms of like a fine-tuned race car and everything's got to be precise and perfect with them, um, that like it's the it's Team Holman. But once they get all those things kind of clicking, it's just like they're so far ahead of the field it becomes becomes destructive. So I, I'd actually bet on a little uh, slight underperformance for them okay. by their standards, opening up the the door for perhaps some of the other teams in the next year. I, I would not like again. I'm I'm bad at betting and bad at predicting, but I I, I I'm not as convinced it's going to go chalk, and that gets us to the point number seven or end number seven, right? So the big question is how will no season and a curling bubble affect the tournament, right? And so I think there's a bunch of issues here. One is um, the fact you're going to have to go travel quarantine. Um, being a relatively isolated place with a stripped down support system. So that's going to be one effect that it's basically going to be go to the rink, go back to your hotel. Um, I'm not sure of how much time they're going to have to practice or if they're going to be able to practice in the bubble upon arrival, if that's a quarantine for their, their day. So that might affect their, their pre-competition preparation too. Um, and then the kind of larger thing is there's been no, no curling this year to speak of, right? So teams, if you go look at early season curling results, teams are all over the map, mm-hmm. right? You get you get a lot of wacky results in September and October bond spiels. And I think that's really a, a case of teams figuring stuff out. And, and despite you can throw like a hundred rocks a day for two months, but you still need a little bit of time to kind of on ice competition to get yourself into kind of peak level form. And so without that, the question is, who does this favor? Does it favor the pros or does it give what we call the Joes or I guess the Josephines a shot? I think you'll see some upsets early. And if this were a triple knock, then I would start looking at the team Burt's of the world, the team Brown's of the world as possibilities for winning this tournament. But because there's because it's such a long 
tournament, I think eventually the cream will will rise. And I don't I don't think you'll see someone come out of nowhere and make the playoffs. I think you'll see you'll see a relatively big name maybe maybe miss the championship pool. Yeah. So I think maybe maybe someone has a rough start and misses the championship pool. But I don't I over the course of time I see it kind of going toward the 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 big name teams and honestly it's just because they're they're better curlers and and, and that's the, that's the main reason for it. It has nothing to do with anything else other than they're they're better, but you'll see you'll see some weird things at the beginning because I, I watched the the beginning of the Swiss Championships yesterday, and Yannick Schwaller just struggled with the ice in Game One, and so he wound up dropping a game to this team Klossner that I had never heard of before. So early on, you're going to see stuff like that, especially as teams adapt to the ice. And get just get used, honestly, just get used to being back on the ice because I'm sure I think in a few of these provinces, teams just haven't even been able to practice. Yeah, I mean, I know for me, start of the season, it's getting my touch and my draw weight back, right? Like I can go out and you know after I warm up and the muscles getting kind of get a bit more relaxed, throwing a takeout's not that hard because the the mechanics, the delivery are there, but the it's the touch, right? It's the, do you, do you get in the hack and have that confidence that, that when you throw for button weight, the stone's going to go there. And that's really, really comes with like having thrown that recently and grooved it and got the reps in. And so I think that's, that's where we're going to see a bit of the, the struggles early on. The question is who, which teams can kind of find their draw weight, their touch weight quickly. Um, I think the other thing is the way the tournament's set up it has a little bit more possibility for chaos that um, by going to the one, the one kind of the first place team going right to the championship and two and three going to uh, the semifinal. I think this actually makes the possibility of a log jam at third place kind of quite likely, right? That you could end up with several teams at like seven or four and eight and three for that third place spot. And I think they've only scheduled in one round of tiebreakers, but there's space. Sean Graham from from Game of Stones gave me a shout out. So there's actually space when you look at the schedule for a second mm-hmm. uh, tiebreaker on the Saturday night. So possibly two rounds of tiebreakers, but that also has a has the possibility of being a bit of a chaos engine, right? That um, you know you basically get four teams tied in third place. It's the end of a long week. Uh, people aren't quite in kind of full curling season shape and, you know, single game upsets can happen. Right. So maybe, maybe a team, let's say you have a four way tie for third. That's a team six, you know, in sixth place overall in the standings, all they have to do is win two games and they're in that, that two, three game and maybe knock off one of the kind of favorites. So I think there's a, there's a bit of possibility for chaos there too. Yeah. And I think the difference is the difference between you and I is I, I think it'll be, I think that that will just happen early, and I think toward the end it'll get more chalky. Yeah, but the those losses early count, right? <laughs> like that, that's like let's say let's say totally possible Jones comes out first game and she's flat. I'm not sure who she's playing first game, but let's say she she drops one or two she quote unquote shouldn't early in the week, and it's fine. She kind of still makes the championship pool, but it's like 
if you've already down two losses, you still got to play a top team in your crossover game. And that's also a loss. You're at eight and three quickly. And then you're in kind of that random, random tiebreaker game. That's true. But I just, I don't see any of those teams below, below the Anderson Jones, Holman, and I'll even throw Carrie in there between under that group. I don't see any of those teams capable of playing consistently enough that they, at the end of the day, they only have three losses or three or four losses. I think that's the difference is the, is the consistency. Yeah. As we saw, even at last year's Scotty's Jones can have an off night, but I don't think the rest of the field belong be, be, behind those four has the consistency to avoid also having four or five losses at the end of it. Yeah. Okay. So let's, that brings us to number eight. So tier two, what I'm kind of called the tier two teams, right? So I'm classifying these teams as veteran teams. So they're, they're mostly known names. They've got lots of Scotty's experience and tour experience. So if you follow the weekly tour, all of these teams will be known to you. Uh, but they're not champs. They haven't won a Scotties. Uh, they may occasionally qualify for a slam, but they're not kind of what I would call regular slammers, the teams you kind of pencil in every week for the playoffs. So given all that, here's here's what I'm classifying as tier two. So Walker from Alberta, Brown from BC, Carrie Galusha from the Territories, Suzanne Burt from PEI, Jill Brothers from Nova Scotia, Sherry Anderson from Saskatchewan, and Melissa Adams from New Brunswick. Uh, who out of this group do you think is going to challenge for the championship pool? So let's assume that you're, you're four, uh, that you've kind of taken as the top tier, that you mm-hmm. think are the championship tier, the, and then plus the two other Manitoba teams that qualified on CTRS points. And then, so the, this gives us a list of another seven. So out of those nine, which four do you think are likely to challenge for uh, the championship pool? Well, I know the Grams would go with Suzanne Burt. I will go with Corinne Brown. That is that is my that is my pick to click, as it were. All right, my if if you're gonna get Jonathan's pick to click, it's Carrie Galusha from the Territories okay. who's picked up Joanne Rizzo, who's a top competitive mm-hmm. skip in Ontario as uh, an alternate slash third. So using using the um, import rule. So I saw, seeing that, that's a kind of interesting little wrinkle there. I think that ups that team a fair bit. The main, and Carrie's kind of always dangerous at the Scotties. Kind of got that cooey, mm-hmm. cooey shot making ability. So- And then listening, listening to the two girls podcast, I guess- Carrie was actually injured, I think, at last year's Scotties, and I think that that was something that really affected them that that made them not play to what we expect out of Team Galusha. Yeah, and then I think the other one that I think I see on this list is Sherry Anderson, who is, as Sean Graham likes to say, all Sherry Anderson does is show up and make playoffs. So if we we say the championship pool here is playoffs, uh, Sherry Anderson's probably likely to qualify. I'd say that I, I, I think that Zacharias, like team out of Manitoba, they've got a decent shot to make the championship pool. That's probably a good goal for them. 
but uh, yeah, and then there's a few kind of other Suzanne Burt, definitely the the Atlantic Canada teams. Kind of, I think they've they've got a shot, but they're a bit more on the bubble there, right? Yeah, I'd, and throw Jill Brothers in there as well. Um, and the other thing is, like those teams, those teams had to play down, so they've they've played recently. Um, yeah, and I don't think the the thing that maybe hurts my my pick of team brown is they did not have to play down cuz the bc the bc scotties got canceled um so yeah so that is an <laughs> usually we talk about they you know going in they always talk about you know oh the teams from atlantic canada are at a disadvantage cuz you know they don't have the, the they don't get to play as much they haven't played with these championship rocks well now they're the ones that have actually played recently <laughs> Yeah, there's a bit of an advantage there, right? Because they because they treated this pandemic like adults, so they were able to have things. Yeah. All right. In college football, they talk about the upset special or upset alert, mm-hmm. right? Like a dangerous a dangerous team that could like knock off one of the top twenty five, right? So oh, you mean like uh, you mean like once a year when I go to a Virginia Tech football game and they lose to someone that uh, no one has ever heard of? Yes. So this year's Scotty's. Upset alert team, I'd say, is Team Nunavut, who's got, you know, fellow podcaster Laurie Eddy skipping. They were they were dangerous last year, right? They certainly mm-hmm. kind of um, had the again, I call it a chaos agent. Like certainly have the chance on any given game to to mix it up. So who do you think they will beat at this year's Scotties? Who do you think they're going to upset? Okay, Jonathan, I yeah. I'm I'm going to call this. This is this yeah. is my call. Draw two. Lori Eddy gets a second shot at Chelsea Carey after oh. almost pulling the upset last year. This time she plays Chelsea Carey first game out of the gate with Chelsea Carey playing with some people that she hasn't played with before. So that is my that is my called shot is draw number two, 8.30 a.m. on Saturday. Nunavut gets their, it extracts their revenge on Chelsea Carey. All right, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> we should open up a sports book tied to the the podcast. Hey, sports betting is uh, legal in Virginia now. <laughs> <laughs> the rocks across the pond. Uh, sports book yeah. is open for all your curling bets. I have not seen curling lines on there yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay. So last end. I don't know enough about Quebec, which is Team Laurie St. George. So Yukon is Laurie Ebby. And um, Northern Ontario is skipped by uh, Krista Burns. So I don't know much about any of these teams. I know Amanda Gates from uh, Team Burns, but that's about it. So do you have any insights here? Kira, Kira Brunton's a very solid curler that uh, Northern Ontario added as their alternate. Uh, the St. George team, I know, I think that they've been to this event before, so they at least have some experience. Yeah. Um, but no, I do not know anything about the UConn team. Yeah, so these are all teams that are that just don't play much on TV, and so we just don't know as much about them. Uh, I So I'm just going to say this. I'm actually looking forward to watching... The Scotties haven't seen any curling at all in the last year, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, part of the fun is seeing completely new teams. So even seeing teams teams like UConn, Northern Ontario, and Quebec, like new faces, uh, and kind of seeing how they play. 
is uh, going to be exciting. So any any other Scotty's thoughts from you, Ryan? My other thing to watch is will will any teams have to pull out of the tournament midway through due to COVID? That's another wrinkle. Like, do sure. we do we have a situation like we saw at the Danish Championships, which you can listen to that show that we did uh, a few weeks ago, where we talked to the president of the Danish Curling Federation as well as one of their players, where they had their world's qualifier interrupted on day two because they had a they they brought. They brought coolers into the bubble with negative tests. And then on day two, one of them tested positive and they had to shut the thing down. Will that happen here? Um, that is that is my other thing to watch is how will how will the pandemic affect this tournament? Yeah, how will it affect it? Um, and I mean, we've covered this a little bit. It's obvious that if COVID kind of breaks out in a curling venue, it spreads really fast, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if there's an outbreak, um, and this is a little bit different from the other sports we've seen going on in bubbles like basketball and hockey is because all the teams are on the ice simultaneously, or a lot of mm-hmm. them are. Um, and it, you know, it's quite clear that COVID spreads pretty, pretty well and pretty quickly in, in arenas. Um, that it's not just the case of, right, as we've seen in basketball, where teams have to forfeit while they wait for, um, you know handful of players that to kind of recover or isolate or kind of get negative tests back here. You could see the entire field from a draw, get it simultaneously. Right. And then it's not clear what happens in that circumstance. You want to move on to the Swiss championships? Sure. So you, uh, you as the king of the international curling spreadsheet <laughs> should break this down for us. Sure. So uh, the, the Swiss championships just got underway. They'll, They'll conclude this upcoming weekend. Seven men's teams, four women's teams. The men are going to play a round robin, and then the top four after that round robin will play each other again, and then they'll have a final series. The the four women's teams are going to play a triple round robin and then have a final series. Kind of what I'm watching here, will the defending champs, which last year we saw Upsets on both sides. We saw Yannick Schwaller win on the men's side, and we saw Elena Stern win on the women's side. Can they repeat? Or will the perennial favorites, Team De Cruz, on the men's side, who played in the 2018 Olympics and won bronze, will Team Tiranzoni, who were the 2019 world champs, Return, return to Worlds uh, and and win this year's Swiss Championships. The other thing I'm watching is we have a lot of young teams on the men's side other than Schwaller and De Cruz. And on the women's side, you have uh, the team skipped by Rafaela Kaiser. Uh, that includes Selena Wachonka. They, they've played, they played in the last four uh, World Juniors. Uh, this team is also part of the, the Swiss military sports program. So they, they, are, they are soldiers and they are also curlers. So uh, interested to see how that team does against, uh, against the other three teams, which is like team, as I said, Team Stern and Team Zirazoni, but also uh, Irene Shorey, who is taking half of her team from last year as well as 
uh, half of Benia Felcher's team. That's uh, and that who's that's who is uh, has come together on this year's version of Team Shorty. So those are kind of my things to watch there in Switzerland. Yeah. All any, right. Any thoughts? I I think I'm going chaos. I'm going all with che- not cheese, just chaos. Like I think that again, this sets up for unpredictable results because people haven't had a full season to train properly and to compete properly. So I I don't. You're, you're kind of going with the with the chalk. I'll go chaos. It'll be some. It'll be maybe Schwartz or maybe one of the young teams we haven't heard of. Yeah, we already saw. We already saw uh, Yannick Schwaller lose to Jan Klossner in his very first game. So we'll see if that that trend continues or if uh, Team Schwaller uh, writes the ship for the rest of that tournament. Uh, off to Japan, which is the other the other tournament that the the other national that's going to be played this year that has a direct route to the world. So whoever wins the Swiss tournament. Uh, they're going to Worlds. Whoever wins the Japanese championships, they're going to Worlds. This year, other than Korea, who already had their championships a while ago, basically every other country is just picking their 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 rep. Um, whereas Switzerland, Canada, and Japan this year have to win their way in. Uh, Japan, uh, interesting wrinkle here, and this is the the number one thing to watch. Your your defending champs, which is Yuta Matsumura on the men's side and Satsuki Fujisawa on the women's side, if they repeat, if either of them repeats, that is your Olympic rep should Japan qualify for the Olympics. So if Fujisawa wins, she's your your Japanese Olympic rep. If Matsumura wins, he's your men's Japanese Olympic rep. Uh, if any other team wins, there will be a playoff series between the previous year's champion, this year's champion, and de- depending on World Curling Tour points, uh, there could be a third team in that playoff series. But So that's, that's one of the additional things to watch here during this championship, which... Uh, which just got underway. And what's really cool about this is you have multiple feeds for each draw. The 7 p.m. Eastern time draws, you can actually watch all three games, which is really cool. Uh, The other draws, you can only watch two because they black out the sheet that is being shown on NHK TV. So um, you get to see basically all of the Japanese championship. It's really cool, and I'm looking forward to it. Again, kind of want to see the youth movement here. One, there's a team playing in their first Japanese championships. Um, this is the team skipped by uh, Asuka Kanai. Um, this team includes Amy Inami and uh, Mone Ryokawa. They were the 2019 World Junior Rep for Japan. So they're kind of the young up and coming team. They're kind of the, the McKinsey Zacharias of Japan, but they have added a second name Junko Nishimuro, who played with Tori Kawana's team when they played in the 2018 world. So they've added some veteran experience to that team. In addition to the world junior reps, of course, the big four teams are all there. Uh, Fujisawa, the, the team skipped by Sana Nakajima, which includes uh, Ikue Kitazawa throwing fourth stones, and the Yoshimura team, which is Team Hokkaido Bank. 
um, in addition to Tori Kawana's team. So uh, those are the four teams that we've kind of talked about a lot on this show. Fujisawa, Nakajima, Yoshimura, Tori Kawana. Those are the four teams that are usually toward the top of the standings. In fact, last year when Tori Kawana lost, it was the first time in like four years that a big four team had lost to a non-big four team. So I'm interested to see if maybe this younger junior team um, gets their way into the playoffs and knocks off one of the one of the the current big four. The other thing to watch in terms of youth being served is Team Tomabechi on the men's side. They have a third on this team named. Iwa Matsubara, and he is 11 years old. So you've got an 11-year-old throwing third rocks for a team. So I'm interested to see how that, uh, how he does. And on the women's side, you have the lead on Team Ito, who is 12. So that's, I mean, pretty cool. Like when I was 11 and 12, um, I think I was still eating glue. Is someone I can't see on the roster you've laid out here, speaking of youth being served on the men's side, is where is Go Aoki? They did not qualify. Oh, they failed to qualify. Okay. So, um, so his, so their things kind of changed in Japan. They did not do the wild card this year. It is just last year's champion, last year's runner up, and then the five uh, regional champions. The skip from Go Aoki's team when they played in the 2018 World Championships. Uh, the skip on that team was Masaki Iwe, who uh, Yusuke Morizumi actually pulled Iwe off that team and brought him into his team. Uh, so Morizumi was the 2018 Olympic representative for Japan. And then his team broke up right before the start of the 2018-2019 season. So he did not play 2018-2019. And then last season brought in Masaki Iwe to play third from hi- third for him. They wound up making the final before losing to Yuta Matsumura. Hmm. So they're probably 1B or 2A. Uh, Yuta's team, the Matsumura team, the defending champion, they're definitely your favorite on the men's side. Um, after Matsumura, there's the Morizumi team, uh, which includes two members of that 2018 Olympic team, as well as Masaki Iwe. And then beyond that, you have Team Yamaguchi. Uh, Yama is probably best known for being in the Men of Curling calendar uh, last time that that it was produced. Uh, but he played third for Yusuke Morizumi at the 2018 Olympics. So the breakup of Team Morizumi kind of created a whole bunch of depth on the men's side there in Japan. Because uh, his second, Tetsuro Shimizu, actually went to Team Matsumura and made that team very strong. Then uh, Morizumi had to form his own team and Yamaguchi formed his own team. So all of a sudden you went from having one clearly dominant team on the men's side in Japan to having three pretty solid teams. But of those three really solid teams, you have a clear number one in the Yuta Matsumura team. Uh, you do have some more youth here, uh, Team uh, Maeda. Uh, they're a, uh, they're a junior team, the, the skip and the third from team Maeda, uh, they were on the, uh, 2020 youth Olympic games team for Japan, which I believe finished second. They had a really strong showing, um, at the youth Olympic games, I believe, but he's, he's 18 and he's skipping in his first, uh, Japanese men's championship. So are there any other championships coming up? No, there was the Scottish elite and it looks like, um, on BBC, 
So we actually got curling on TV here. Um, and it was Bruce Moet's team won the men's side and Eve Muirhead's team won the women's side. They did not. So, they lost. Well, they did it. They, they lost to Gene Aitken. Oh. However, it's All still right. going to be, they're, they're still going to send Bruce Mowat and um, Eve Muirhead to Worlds. There's no way that they're not, honestly. Uh, yeah, no, it's a separate conversation. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's quite lit if, as a kid, say, if you go join Scottish Curling Banter but that's on Facebook. I, I think that's who's going A to the Worlds if there is a Worlds, and B, um, those are in all likelihood your, um, Olympic teams. I think base. I mean, uh, if you actually want to get deep into the <laughs> the weeds of Scottish of Scottish and British curling, there's a policy selection document up on the British curling website that lays out the criteria for national team selection. And um, Team Muirhead's kind of really far ahead on all the different criteria. It's ba- basically it's between Patterson and Moet, but I think Moet's um, for the men's side, but Moet's got the got the the edge there for sure yeah i mean he won all of these little tournaments that they did each month um at the the training center so i mean it, it's pretty much it pretty much has to be him the most interesting thing to come out of that is i actually think that that ross white's your number two team in scotland now i think that he's kind of leaped over patterson in terms of abilities uh i th- i think so i mean I was kind of on the Ross White bandwagon last year. Uh, they they were sure? kind of deprived of the season to to kind of demonstrate that. Um, then they haven't. Had there been a normal season this year, I'm positive the team White would have qualified for slams. They were they were kind of moving up the points total pretty quickly. Um, so, and I think that once they got on TV, people would kind of see how good they are. But I I definitely think they're the team to watch for the next quad. But yeah, just they're... COVID and time has kind of robbed them of the chance for this quad. Yeah, they are outstanding. The only thing they're missing is consistency, and that will come as they as they hopefully the pandemic ends and and we get to actually play uh, play more events. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. Ryan. I'll know the pandemic's over when something is not canceled. Like everything for the last year has been canceled. Hey, everybody, future Jonathan and future Ryan here. Uh, if you had been paying attention, you heard us talking about worlds a whole lot the, during the last hour or so. And that's because we recorded all of that on Sunday. Well, it's Monday now and women's worlds has been officially canceled. The, Health officials in Switzerland would not give the World Curling Federation the go-ahead to go with uh, Women's Worlds there in Switzerland because they would not um, they would not approve of the protocols that the WCF had in place and said that it was going to put too much additional strain on the local health authority with all of the testing and that they wouldn't accept the increased risks that the worlds would bring there in Switzerland. So far, nothing additional has been announced. Obviously, there's a lot of disappointed players right now, but it sounds like the WCF is working on a plan B. That plan B could be one of many things. If you look at reporting done by Greg Strong of the Canadian Press, one of the things that they were looking at is the possibility of adding a women's competition to the Calgary bubble. 
They're also looking at possibly running an additional women's Olympic qualification event in the fall. Of course, the final Olympic qualification event currently scheduled for December. And if you read between the lines on how things are phrased, like it's not off the table that they could just select the teams that are going to the Olympics. So a lot of things still in the air on the women's side. Of course, they have not. Uh, They have not played the men's championships. It is still currently scheduled for Calgary. We'll see how that goes forward. However, uh, the Canadian Curling Federation did tell Greg Strong that uh, they they fully expect that with the plans that they have in place for the bubble there in Calgary, that they do expect men's worlds to go ahead. Um, Things that you're hearing is maybe... Maybe the protocols that were being put in place in Switzerland weren't going to be quite as strong as what we were going to see there in Calgary. And uh, honestly, Jonathan, let's be let's not kid ourselves about what the the purpose of a bubble is. The purpose of a bubble is not to protect the athletes from the community. The purpose of running a bubble is to protect the community from the athletes. So Switzerland was not willing to accept the risks of bringing in teams for all over the world, from all over the world to play in a curling event. And as of right now, Calgary is. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a little skeptical still. I, I kind of parsed through the Devin Hero story and it was all statements from Curling Canada I haven't yet seen, and maybe if someone's listening, they can send it to me if it's been put out there, but something from the government of Canada, because they have the final say. And as of right now, and as it's been for basically the last year, if you're not a Canadian citizen, um, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to enter Canada. So they they have done a bubble for the NHL, but the NBA um, was not allowed to play in Canada. The Blue Jays were not allowed to run their season in Canada. The Raptors are currently the Tampa Bay Raptors. So um, I'm, I'm a little, put me on the skeptical side for the, um, the world men still not, not saying it's not going to happen, but I still think there's a few more hurdles to clear. And I think if anything goes wrong at the Scotties or any of the earlier events, it's basically, you know, game over for, for the curling bubble too. Yeah, that was kind of my thinking as well was if they're not letting the New York Rangers into Canada, they're not going to let the U.S. men's curling team into Canada. But so far, we have not seen anything saying that men's worlds is off the table. So we'll we'll see. We still have obviously some time and we'll have we'll have some data points from from the, the previous curling events in the Calgary bubble to go off of as well. So we'll take a wait and see approach on that. But uh, for now, Women's Worlds canceled, and we'll see if uh, what they wind up doing with it. Uh, one thing that they did say canceled, I bet that that is that I bet there are contractual reasons for officially canceling something so that you can uh, you can take advantage of a of a force majeure clause in there. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of as far as why they would cancel the event instead of calling it postponed and then seeing what they could do after everyone's vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, I th- I suspect we're just going to end up with some big super qualification event in the autumn. Um, I, I I just think, th- and I've been kind of in the what's the rush crowd. I know Curling Geek's been pounding that as well. Um, you know, get everyone getting vaccinated by March, not going to happen. Most people um, should be, at least in the in the North America and, and Europe, will probably have 
access to vaccines by the autumn, right? So um, the timescale lines up a lot better, I think, for, say, just having a very intense autumn with with multiple qualification events. So why not do it that way? Uh, the only, I mean, in terms of why are things being rushed, um, as always, the answer is follow the money. The only thing that I can guess is there are some financial benefits to knowing now that you are qualified for the Olympics in terms of of sponsorships or grant money. Um, that's the only thing I can think of is ter- in terms of why they would want to know that they're qualified for Beijing now versus six months from now. And obviously the TV money, right? So the, the TV revenues, the World Curling Federation's largest source of money as it is for Curling Canada. So um, losing two full seasons of that is not trivial. So, I mean, I, I completely understand why those organizations are, are pushing for it. Like the the financial cost of the pandemic everywhere are serious. And for those bodies losing that kind of revenue, that advertising, that, that TV revenue is going to put a pretty big dent in kind of long-term finances for those organizations too. TV ratings for the event in that whichever world is held in Canada on a certain year are just naturally going to be higher just because of time zone differences. Like every, you know, Canada can tune in for all of the draws for the event that's held in Canada. Whereas when it's in the, when the event is in Asia or Europe, there's going to be draws that you're just not going to be able to tune into because they're in the middle of the night. So that's uh, probably also another factor into why men's worlds hasn't been canceled yet. So We'll continue to monitor. We'll continue to let you know. But for now, uh, Women's World is canceled. And so far, everything else is currently scheduled to go uh, go as planned. But uh, check out our social media accounts for uh, streaming schedules of the events that are currently ongoing. All right. Back to the end of the show. Okay. So we got a few other things to announce. Yeah. So first thing, this is big, Ryan. Yeah, we. Uh, uh, do you want to do you want to announce it? Yeah, sure. Uh, as you may have noticed, or hopefully noticed, because it means that I uh, that I was successful in doing some technology. Uh, hopefully, you noticed that we have a new logo. Um, so we partnered with Brooks Freeman. Uh, went to Brooks and said, "Hey, here's what we're looking to do. Um, here's what my budget is." And uh, and so yeah, so Brooks has created a new logo for the for the show. Yeah, so huge thank you to Brooks. He was so easy to work with. Um, pretty much right off the bat, came up with exactly what Jonathan and I were looking for, and we're extremely happy about it. Um, if you need for any of your logo needs, please, I highly recommend Brooks, uh, go to brooksfreeman.com, uh, and, uh, you can, you can see his logo portfolio, which hopefully he's, uh, he's proud enough of, of our logo that he eventually adds it to that. Um, but yeah, really, really happy with how it turned out. Yeah. I think it looks really good. Um, maybe we'll do merch. I don't know. Hopefully. What do you think? Yeah, probably. Yeah. At least for me, at least uh, I, I, I at least want stuff to wear on the ice. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll sponsor uh, Team Retchless when you guys compete in the English Championships next time around. You will. <laughs> maybe. How much will you pay us? Because um... <laughs> me paying me isn't sponsorship. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's yeah. You should you should just put the logo on your on your jackets. Clearly. Why? It's valuable real estate, Ryan. We've got we've got uh, dozens of exciting leads uh, for sponsorship. Dozens. Ten pounds. Ten pounds? No. I'll buy a sandwich. No. 
I will buy all of Team Richless. Maybe one. maybe the other podcasts or maybe the girls want to sponsor us. I don't know. I mean, if two maybe Game of Stones. I mean, if two girls in a game or Game of Stones offers you two sandwiches, then I'm gonna you know, you know I'll 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 accept <laughs> that you should take that take. That. <laughs> all right. Uh, I don't know. It's you know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Maybe another team. I don't know. Maybe we should sponsor an Arena Nats team. I like it. <laughs> All right. Also, I wrote about curling. I wrote some, well, mainly I wrote about marketing and uh, and applied it to curling. And you can read those on on our website, rocksacrossthepond.com. I talked about um, basically applying the traditional sales funnel to um, to getting people into your curling club. And then I talked about how your curling club can get more organic search leads. So some very very nerdy, nerdy things got got blogged about on our website, but but useful things too, I think, especially for I hope so for curling clubs that are going to have to rebuild their membership base after the pandemic ends. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, hopefully, people find them useful. If you do, please email us at rucksacrossthepond at gmail dot com. Or if uh, if reading those things just leads to you having more questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Yeah. All right. All right. So we get to watch some actual curling. I know it's great. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch the Japanese championships. I'm way more excited about that than than anything else, to be honest. I can't believe we managed to fill 11 months of podcasts with no curling. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, as always, if you want to yell at us, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Rocks Across the Pond. Uh, or you can email us, rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com. Um, the greatest compliment that we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. So if you if you enjoyed this show or you go back through the archives and you think that there was uh, something that that someone else may find interesting, please pass it along to them. Uh, it helps us helps us grow and helps us spread our love of curling. And we really appreciate everyone that's done that. Um, yeah. So thanks again for listening. And uh, and we will talk to you again real soon.